You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Welcome back to the Business with Purpose podcast. I am so excited for this week's episode. Today on the show, I have Julie Hulstein of Vibella Jewelry. And uh, Julie, I I made sure before we got started that I was pronouncing that right. So (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Molly. I'm just so delighted to be here with you today. And Vibella is actually a brand that I learned about last spring when you guys had a product in, um, I got a Fair Trade Friday box uh, from Mercy House, and you guys had a beautiful necklace in there. And that was my first introduction to Vibella. And so I want, you know, before we kind of get into what Vibella Jewelry does and the artisans that you guys work with all over the world and just the amazing things that you guys are doing, Julie, I want to get to know you. So what I have all my guests do on the show is give me the Julie 101. So, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, kind of, you know, where did you go to school? Where are you from? You know, how did you get started? And ultimately, kind of what led you to start Vivella? Oh, sure. Well, I need to start out by saying that I'm probably one of the most unlikely entrepreneurs that you're going to have on your program. I grew up in Northwest Iowa and went to a local Christian college here to get a music major, and then got a master's degree in applied music. And I was a band director for 27 years and also played in symphony orchestras and chamber music groups. So the heart of me is a teacher. I loved teaching. I loved that. And also just music and art in general. And I'm a mom of four grown children and a grandmother of five. I have a wonderful husband who is a farmer, and we live here in Iowa. Um, So my journey starting Vibella was not something that I ever thought about growing up. I hope to do this someday. It was something that grew out of actually a faith journey of mine. Yeah, I'd love for you to share that. Sure. Um, It was actually in my 27th year of teaching that I just really began feeling the Lord um, tugging on my heart to take more time to be quiet and still in his presence and to learn to know him better and um, really felt led that he was asking me to leave behind the life that I was used to. So I retired early from teaching and at my husband's very wise advice, I spent the next whole year not doing anything brand new, but just being still and um, not doing lots other than a little bit of volunteering here and there. But I really got closer to the Lord and started recognizing his voice when he talked to me, got more and more into the word. And all of that, if I I'll just really shorten up the story here, but all of that led me to Uh, the Lord asking me to do little things first, 
uh, little small acts of obedience. For instance, putting on my heart someone who needed an encouragement. So um, I would be asked to, I felt, bring cookies to somebody I didn't know very well and some encouragement, which was really out of my comfort zone. But I would do that and I would get there and find out that they were going through a hard time that I didn't even realize and um, was just really blessed through being obedient when I was asked to do something like that. Yeah. And it seemed like the more I listened um, in my times of prayer with the Lord, the more those kinds of requests grew in nature. And eventually I felt this just all grew and grew and grew. Um, I went on a couple of mission trips to Mexico and then um, we went on a mission trip to Haiti in 2010 after that enormous earthquake hit Haiti. Yeah. So that really, really changed my life. So you started just kind of tuning in more to what the Lord was, was telling you. And um, I just, you know, I love how when we're in those moments, when we kind of get out of our own way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I find that that's kind of when then when God really can show up and, and yes. show off in so many ways. You know, when just we get out of our own way, we, we we stop you know trying to do things our way, and then all of a sudden things just kind of start falling into place. So after you went to you know on the mission trips to Mexico and and to Haiti, um, what were sort of the you know the next steps that you know, led you ultimately to to start a, a, a jewelry brand? Yes. Well, I, I have to tell you, the biggest thing on the trip to Haiti was um, this, meeting people. I went to Haiti in June. The earthquake had happened in um, January of 2010. And in June, um, still, we were seeing a nation that just, uh, the poverty was so, so, so deep. Um, at that point in time, there were more NGOs per capita in Haiti than on in any other nation on the planet. And yet there were so many people starving, tons of people without clean drinking water. There still are. There were um, so many tent cities with thousands and thousands of people living in them. The devastation was just horrible, mostly because the poverty was so deep to begin with. Um, more because of that than because of the magnitude of the earthquake. And so many sick people with very inadequate health care. And we learned that Haiti is a nation of orphans. Most of the orphans we found out were in orphanages, not because their parents had died. Some really were truly orphans because their parents had died. But many and most of these orphans had at least one living parent. But they were orphans of poverty. Their parents simply could not afford to feed and care for their children. So they brought them to orphanages. I also learned about the rest of its system in Haiti. This is something that I had no idea happened in our world today, and it is part of the fabric of the society there. I'm not judging anybody for this because I do not live in the kind of poverty that people do there. It's um, something that has grown out of desperate, desperate conditions. But rest of its are simply child slaves. They are children that are taken out of a family and given to a more well-to-do family. Um, 
sometimes in the hopes that that more well-to-do family will provide that child with better living conditions and school um, than their family could in exchange for doing household chores for them. But often it turns out that this child is sold into a lifetime of servitude and they are they are so often just treated so very, very poorly. There are all kinds of um, statistics that you can cite. I hate citing statistics in developing countries because nobody really knows. But I do know that one of the statistics that I trust suggests that there may be 300,000 Restavics in that small country alone today. And so um, I was just so struck by this. And children who were unschooled, children who wanted to go to school but were unable to because school's not free in Haiti. There's not a, uh, for most children, there's not a public school system. So parents that can't afford to send their children simply don't, or they just choose one of their children to go to school. So what I saw on that first trip were hopeless people sitting around waiting for someone to give them a handout. And I just saw these hopeless looks on faces of of what were really strong people with um, a nation that does have a proud heritage. Haiti is the first slave republic in the world ever to gain their own independence. They're a nation that has strong people. Um, but they've just been through a lot of, uh, it, it, it's tough. I won't get into the whole reason of why I think there's so much poverty there. The short answer of that is there is just a lot of poverty. Yeah. And yeah. what I was seeing was handouts were needed to help people get over the hump of I'm starving today. But I also saw that there were so many people coming in feeling really good about giving things to people and then leaving after a short time handout is given and then leaving people behind with very little and with this defeated low self-esteem. I went home and just was really, really crushed, especially after this one really uh, important meeting. We were visiting a tent city one day called Abraham Village, and we visited lots of different tents and met with different people. But there was one teenage girl who followed our group around as we were visiting from tent to tent, and she invited a young man and I from our team into what she called her tent. It really was just some sticks that were maybe about an inch in diameter that were placed vertically in the ground. The size of her tent was maybe the size of two of our normal dining room tables and had a dirt floor and it wasn't by any means enclosed. It just had bits of packing plastic, ripped up fabric, little bits of tarp tied between these sticks to try to enclose it. And that's what she called her home. And this young woman sat in this tent and through an interpreter told the two of us that she felt that because of her lifestyle, she loved, She thought she loved Jesus and wanted to be a Christian, but she thought she was too far gone because of the things that she had to do to survive for Jesus to love her. And 
eventually it came out that she was prostituting herself just to get food and water for herself and her two younger siblings. So uh, we had this opportunity to share the gospel with her and to tell her that Jesus came for all. Um, of course, we gave her a small amount of money to help her for the short term with some food and water. And she came and visited us in a church service with her younger brother the next day. Um, the last day that we were on our mission trip, we went back and visited her in her tent one last time. And she just looked like a whole different person. She had accepted Christ. Wow. Um, she had gotten some food and water. She just looked hopeful. And by then, she had started calling me Mom Julie. She didn't really have a mom figure in her life. Wow. And was asking if I was going to come back to Haiti and when that would be. And at that point in time, I didn't know if I ever would be back in Haiti. But here's the thing. I had a daughter that was just a year older than that wow. of my own. And as this young woman was standing in the doorway of her tent, waving by mom, Julie, the Lord just, this is one of those moments where I just felt like the Lord spoke to my spirit so clearly and said, Julie, that young woman is my daughter. And I have to look at that every day. And I just could not imagine leaving my daughter in that situation, my own teenage daughter, with a few dollars saying, you're a Christian now, you have a little bit of money, things are going to be okay, and I'm going to walk away. There is just no level of this that was okay with me anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and I know there are so many thousands and thousands and thousands of women like her all over the world. Um, so I, I left home just uh, with this crushed spirit and really crying out to the Lord about how, how can one person impact this, all of this? And what am I called to do to make a difference? So I prayed about that for months, and I began to pray for jobs for Haitians because it was clear to me that people wanted to work, and they wanted to care for themselves and their own families. They didn't just want to take things from people. They wanted to give things to their own families. And um, over time, this idea of making jewelry out of recycled plastic bottles came to mind. And we started to explore that, and we test marketed a few of those things, it started to sell, and that's where the idea for Vibella Jewelry was born, that we would give jobs to people in Haiti, making jewelry out of garbage that they had there, teach them to recycle some of the things they had around them, pay them good daily wages, and that we would market that finished product here in the United States. Wow. What an amazing transformation, an amazing story. I think you hit on something that is so important and that we talk a lot about on this show is just the importance of a job and how restoring dignity to somebody is something that's priceless in a lot of ways. And in, you know, in third world countries, you know, there's this misconception that these third world countries want all our money. That's not true. They, they want a job. They want, you know, they want opportunity. They want just the chance to be able to work and to provide for their own families. I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, like no matter what culture we're in, what country we're in, like 
you know, moms want to be able to feed their kids. Like, I want to be able to feed my kids. I want to be able to, you know, support my family and, you know, do what I can at home. You know, it's, it, it's the same no matter what country you're in. You know, a mother's instinct is a mother's instinct. You know, a, a father's, yeah. yeah, father's instinct is a father's instinct. Like the, 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 the drive to provide and the drive to love and, and take care of your family. And I can't, you know, that's so common in around the world where you, you see these kids in these orphanages who are not actually orphans. And it's yes. simply because their parents can't afford to take care of them. And that just breaks my heart. I actually, I had um, on the show a couple weeks ago, a dear friend of mine, Aaron Littleton of the Mighty River Project, and they are doing kind of a similar, um, not, you know, not just jewelry, but, you know, baskets and things in Uganda, because she found a very similar thing where she was, she was working at an orphanage, and she learned that a lot of those orphans in Uganda weren't actually orphans. And so yeah. I just, I, I think it's, it's so amazing that you just really listened to the call and that you just kind of, yeah, like you said, you went from, you know, teaching, teaching to running a jewelry business. Yes. So what, um, you started in 2010, or you went in 2010, but when did Vibella actually get started? When when sort of did this all kind of transpire? We started test marketing the jewelry in January of 2011 without really having um, centers in place in those countries. We just wanted to see if it would sell. Yeah. And um, by June of 2011, we were making jewelry in Haiti and um, had a small business going here in the United States marketing that jewelry. And um, it went very, very quickly. It was not difficult to find centers that wanted to employ people and managers to manage those places. It was very difficult to train people who had never had jobs what that meant to have a job. And it if I were to go back now as a person working in a developing country, I would do a lot more listening at the front side to my managers in those countries, the um, national managers, the locals. Um, lots more listening before I told people things, but um, that's an afterthought. So we stubbed our toes and we worked our way through lots of difficult things, but the good news is we learned a lot and people who had what we did in our uh, what we set out to do was to hire people who were not already artisans. We wanted to simply employ people who needed jobs. Yeah. So what we found managers, local managers that we felt we could trust and who spoke English because I did not speak um, uh, Haitian Creole. I still don't speak it very well. I'm working on it, but um, it's going very slowly. Um, and then in Mexico, we also started a year later with a center there in one of the towns that we uh, had been going on mission trips to. But we started by finding local managers, and then we asked each manager to find one or two women who they thought could be really good mentors to other young women. And then they went and we asked them to find the people who most needed jobs, who were in the most dire straits and needed help for whatever reason. And um, then we trained them on the job to become artisans. Wow. So that took a lot of time. Yeah, I can imagine. 
and um, we had some very interesting jewelry coming back at first. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, I can only imagine like what new artisans are making with like recycled trash, basically. Oh, my goodness. Our friends were so kind. We had a lot of nice sympathy purchases at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm happy to say that over the years, they have become very, very skilled artisans. And they're so proud of themselves. Um, We have um, really developed. We have now our process is we have um, designers here in our home office that really work hard to see what the latest trends or the upcoming fashion trends are going to be. So we design jewelry. We also keep in mind now that we want to use as many locally sourced materials or recycled materials as possible in the countries we work in. So that's a big part of what we do. Um, But we still do design things. And then we send whatever materials and tutorials are needed to our international centers. And then we have managers in our international centers make the jewelry and they send the finished pieces back to us where we package and market it. So we also have this really vast army of ambassadors who sell jewelry for us. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys also sort of kind of have a, it's almost like a, a hybrid model where you have sort of a direct sales approach with ambassadors, but then you can also shop online. Yes. And we have a separate line that we sell to um, boutiques or wholesalers, different than what our ambassadors sell. So we have a few different sales models, but um, it's working pretty well for us. And what we've decided right from the get-go is that we wanted our artisans to be employed full-time and not have to rely on orders that come and go from us. So all of our artisans in our three international centers are employed on a full-time basis and they have jobs that they can count on and an income that they can count on. And we work really hard with managers who live right there to pay a really good fair wage above what is normal, but not so much above that it really upsets the microeconomy where they live yeah, or puts someone in danger because someone in their village thinks they're really rich and um, they're going to come after them for all kinds of extra money or loans or, yeah. or uh, even theft. We also bless our artisans. We have a sister nonprofit that collects donations so that we are able to give every one of our Haitian artisans school sponsorship for all of their children and for some of their relatives children and we give back to school donations to our Mexican artisans as well to help with their kids back to school expenses so we're able to do that and also give meals on site to all of our Haitian artisans every day that they work so they have those added perks that nobody can take away from them in addition to their good pay that is steady. So we feel really good about what our artisans are getting and um, feel that we have a really good sales model as well. Yeah. Everything that, I mean, everything that I've seen, you know, since I learned about you guys in the spring has just been, I've just been blown away with what you guys are doing and just, 
um, I think it's something that is so powerful and, um, you know, and like I said earlier, just by going in and empowering them and giving them, you know, a hand up instead of a handout is so important and life changing. And that's the kind of thing that, yeah, you know, can sustain a community and impact a community in the long run. And just the way that you guys also the way that you share the gospel. So you not only just, you not only impact them, you know, physically, but also spiritually. And I think that is something that is also just so impactful. Um, So, you know, as somebody who was in teaching for, you know, 27 years, and then clearly, like you said in the beginning, you were an unlikely entrepreneur. What has, what kind of impact has this made on you? You know, when you just really learned to surrender and kind of listen to the call and just followed, followed, you know, went, went through the, the doors that were open, what has this done for you and, and what kind of impact has it made on your life? Oh, wow. I have to first say that it's been incredibly humbling to, um, I, I've had to just give up a lot of days and say, this is more than I know how to do. But I know that God is going to provide me with people who can come alongside me and help me through things that I don't know how to do. And um, that's tough to do when you um, became fairly successful at what you were doing before. But it's been very, very good for me. And it's also increased my faith to know that if God calls you to something, he'll equip you with the right people. Or um, it's not just about, I guess I... The biggest thing I had to learn was it's just not about me. I can I can just say some days I don't know what to do, um, and and God really does show up. He sent time after time the right people and opportunities. There have been long dry spots where we wondered what are we going to do next, um, and it's been difficult. I won't say that it's been a piece of cake. Just because we were doing this, because God asked us to, there there has been some really difficult times, but there have also been some of the most beautiful times I've experienced in my life, just watching what God would do and how he took it farther than I ever expected. When I started this, I just assumed that we'd bring a couple of suitcases full of beads to Haiti a couple of times a year, Mm -hmm. and we take home a couple of suitcases filled with jewelry a couple of times a year a year and sell them in churches and in garage sales. That's kind of what I thought would happen. And um, obviously he had more in mind. And the other thing that I did not understand was the circle that God had in mind. And we thought we were going to help people in developing countries. What I didn't realize was that God was going to change me. He was going to change our North American sales force and all of the, so many of the customers who come to us and um, our artisans just because of the relationships that we have formed. Because these two different cultures are meeting one another and we both have things to learn from one another that we would otherwise never learn. It's just been such a sweet, sweet experience. Um, it's, it's just hard to put words to. It's, it's really blown my mind. Um, so it's been a much re- richer and deeper, fuller experience than I ever imagined. And I, I wonder where it will end. Yeah. And, and a lot of times 
you know, we we just we don't know and I, so I like not knowing sometimes because <laughs> there are sometimes I get, you know, down the road and I look back and I'm like, man, if I had known then what I know now, I don't know that I necessarily would have done done it this oh, way. Oh, you are right. You are so right. <laughs> um, so, Julie, just, you know, I want to also kind of get to know you a little bit more. So what, uh, you know, tell me, what do you do outside of Vibella? You know, t- tell me about your family. What what kinds of things do you like to do, you know, for fun? Are you, are you, are you reading anything right now? Oh, I love to read. Um, actually, right now I'm not, I haven't had a lot of chance to read because we're in the middle of some really busy, busy times here at Vibella. But um, I like to read all kinds of things. Um, I spend a lot of time every morning um, in my prayer chair with my Bible, I will have to say. I do read that every day. Yeah. Um, but I love to read um, nonfiction Christian books. Um, I love history and things about... Uh, so I'll read lots of um, books about history. That's just one of my one of my favorite things. And I like to be outdoors with my family and my kids. We love spending time on a lake in the summertime. I have three grandchildren who live close by me, so I like to spend grandma time with them. That's so much fun. Oh, that's awesome. They're they're quite young, and we have two grandchildren who live in Denver that I don't get to spend enough time with. And um, I still get to um, use my Um, music background by directing church choir but otherwise right now I'm just very very busy with Vibella so the time we get out of that with our family and friends we just like to relax and enjoy and just have a little downtime and some fun yeah well Julie thank you so much Um, for people who want to learn more about Vibella how can they connect with you guys online and and how can they you know shop and support you guys and the artisans and the wonderful work that you guys are doing yes please do go to our website www.vibellajewelry.com and it's V-I-B-E-L-L-A yes and then be sure it's vbellajewelry.com. <laughs> and then we do have a Facebook page, Vbella Jewelry, um, a Facebook page. So look for us there. And they just make great Christmas gifts. We are looking also for people to join our ambassador team. Our ambassadors just are a wonderful group of people. They have a super community. They're encouraging to one another. We've taken ambassadors of ours to Haiti to meet our artisans. That's been a really, really sweet time. They were able to go this June and watch our artisans as that as our artisans themselves planned a day where they had a revival for their own church and made food to serve 250 people in their own community. Wow. Um, we just got to do that together as a group. It was just amazing. So um, there are some really neat opportunities. And um, also, Vibella does great fundraisers. If you ever have a reason to do a fundraisers, a fundraiser for your organization or a cause, ours are very easy to do right online. We ship everything straight to the people who ordered, and you get 30% of all the sales directly back to you. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That is awesome. Well, Julie, it was just such a pleasure to speak with you. And you just you just have such a I can just hear so much joy in your voice and you just have such a heart for these artisans. And I just, it was, I just, you really inspired me and I just really can't uh, thank you enough for taking the time out of your, your day to talk with me. Oh, thanks so much, Molly. I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. If you like this show, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, and definitely be sure to share with your friends because that's how we're able to get the show and get the word out there. And we'll see you guys next time on the Business with Purpose podcast. Have a great day.